As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower in the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. That's Psalm 103, one of of our favorites. Well, I could say one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But uh, welcome back. This is, uh, we got a bit of a mashup tonight. This is an on the ground Dominion podcast mashup. So we're here with uh, Alex Klusterman. Good to be back. We got Ben Inglis. Hello. And uh, Rebecca Klusterman. Bringing some class to this. That's right. <laughs> if it... Just uh, raising the bar a little yep. bit. You know? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Alex actually put pants on for this uh, for this particular yeah. episode. Hey, that so is a treat. That is nice. That is yeah. a treat. Anyway. I figured um, if we're going to be doing video, but I'm going to have to start doing that at some point. But it's good to be back. We've been, we've been away for a while, and that's partly what we're going to be talking about tonight. So I don't know who wants to lead off the conversation a bit. <clears throat> Maybe just give a description of uh, what's been going on in our lives and all that. Uh, Al, you want to take that? Or was Ben going to... Yeah, well, we were thinking that uh, for the sake of our congregation, but even other people who listen, um, we would do an episode talking about how we deal with sickness and death with faith. And um, this is obviously something that is always of value, living in a fallen world, Um, but also as of late, just the trials that are that we have faced just as a little community and uh, I just thought we could share some of the lessons that the Lord's taught us and some of the experiences we've gone through and hopefully encourage hopefully encourage people by all that God has done and he means to work through these things would you say that's kind of what we want to do yeah uh yeah we 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 mainly want to just hear from uh you and your wife Al um you kind of you guys have been through uh, kind of in a unique way, the valley over the past few weeks. And um, I mean, the encouraging thing as Christians is that we're not talking about the subject of sickness and death as, as kind of bare facts. Um, that That's kind of the good, that, that's the hope and the joy we have as Christians, right? That, that even the worst things that we can conceive of as, as yeah. fragile, uh, you were reading there, Jer, as fragile man, uh, God can redeem and does redeem. Uh, the worst things you can think of, right? So, um, you know, I, I don't know how detailed you guys want to get, but maybe just kind of um, walk us through the last few weeks and and uh, and um, maybe what God's been teaching you both and and yeah. different perspectives, or maybe just kind of start at the beginning and yeah, and we'll cut you off. Yeah. So no, so kidding. we the year was nineteen eighty one. Year was nineteen eighty one, and that was a mere thought. <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, yeah. Well, Re- Rebecca got sick, um, and this is relevant to our story. But Rebecca got sick with COVID in September, right? Huh? Yeah, September? around mid-September. Yeah. And uh, you know how to? It, it's it's not fun. It's not a pleasant experience. It's a it's it's you get really sick. Yeah. And she recovered from that, and I didn't get even a symptom. And I mean, we we. Like I still slept in the same bed, you know. I just 
I don't know how you leave your wife. I mean, if it was a bubonic plague and it meant, you know, one of us staying alive for our kids or something, but a 35 year old guy, I'm not going to just let my wife's. You mean you didn't sleep in a different room and wear a mask? No, no, we didn't. Wow. We didn't You're sleep in really a mask. Huh? Yeah. I will admit, I suggested that he sleep in another room because I didn't want him to get it. It was so yeah. awful, but he refused. He was so, like, I'm not leaving. So we didn't, I didn't get it. And um, yeah, moving forward into October, um, I did get it. And, and it was just, for, for full disclosure, it wasn't at church or something. It wasn't at a gathering. It was personal interactions with people. Um, I wasn't at church for several weeks. Um, but but uh, anyways, I got it and um, got really, you know, in, in the beginning was doing okay following the traditional kind of the, the pattern of sickness. It's pretty textbook. Um, I know other people who had it and we followed the same kind of symptoms, similar symptoms and, and days. Uh, and it started to feel better, but then I started to get worse. And what people might not know is there's two dangers. There's the actual COVID, but then there's your body's response to COVID, um, which is known as the cytokine storm. And I didn't know anything about this before I got it. Uh, I've I've since learned a lot from the doctors at the hospital and even just from uh, my own reading. But uh, I guess what started to happen was um, my body responded to the COVID and started attacking itself, and I developed a very severe pneumonia type of thing. Um, now, Beck, you can kind of jump in here because uh, – I didn't actually know I was, we didn't really know how sick I was because of the pneumonia and the breathing issues. Um, I was breathing so shallowly and I wasn't speaking. So I never, I never said anything for multiple days beyond yes, no kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, in God's providence, a family member called and I was having a conversation with them on the phone or trying and I I couldn't, apparently I couldn't speak and I, I heard them it's actually my brother saying, what's wrong with you? You can't speak. Like some, you're not okay. Like yeah. you're not okay. And Rebecca, do you, you yes, hear? Yes, I, I was in the kitchen at this point and I was like, he, he can't even get through a sentence without catching for breath. Like he couldn't get out three or four words without yeah. running out of air. Yeah. And so we wouldn't, the, the crazy thing to think is apart from that, I mean, I don't know at what point we would have realized that like when I'm suffocating, like when would we have noticed that? And- um, so we did, we, we had a nurse practitioner that we had been in touch with and a family member who's a nurse and they advised Rebecca to kind of assess my symptoms, my breathing rate. And to once we realized it, yeah. it was like 46 per minute, minute and through yeah. the chart, through off the charts, yeah. we went to emerge and, um, I was given oxygen and, uh, a little bit of medication. And then I just got sick of being there. We, and we came home. Um, I rested for a bit. Ben, you came at that time. Yeah, yeah. I I helped you back into the house, right? And I remember just feeling just devastating seeing you laid so low, like you could right. barely walk. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember much of it, but I do remember you were in the driveway. Yes. <laughs> you said, "Hey, Al, how you feeling?" You're like, "Uh," <laughs> just grunted at me. Yeah. 
That was happy. Yeah. And then you teetered and Ben <laughs> kind of caught you. <laughs> yeah. So I went back to bed and um, I guess Rebecca and Sion were kind of monitoring me. Um, and the only reason we could leave the emerge is because you had we had access to some at home oxygen. Yeah. Um, which Ben secured and had brought here. That's why right. Ben was even here in the driveway and was able to help you into the house when you were tottering. And that oxygen tank ran out in the middle of the night because you required so much of it that we just blew through it. And so that's why we then had to call the ambulance. So we, so Rebecca called the ambulance. I was, you know, the ambulance came. They're great. Went in the ambulance to emerge and Rebecca followed me. Now, Rebecca had the foresight to plan for me going back to the hospital. And she packed up, um, you know, the medication that I was on, some, and, um, my phone she charged, which was a godsend, and some other things, which was good because when she followed me there, they actually didn't let her back in. Now they let her in the first time. Yeah, but yes, not the second they, time. they let me in the first time, and I was able to sit with them for six hours and emerge the first time, which was an amazing miracle, because, which I had been praying for, because they actually don't usually allow that, but they yeah. did miraculously. So, so I'm in there. Um, obviously, I'm very sick. I have a hearing disability. Everyone wears masks. So you can't read lips. And the the first thing the doctor says to me is he belligerently and and, uh, ideologically tried to convince me um, that I should be willing to be intubated at some point. But he didn't even suggest any treatment. Like it was was just intubation. Uh, I know from other... Doctors and nurses, including family members, um, who have told me that that is a very bad approach and don't let them do that. Um, I since I came home and realized in 2020, uh, in some places like New York, 90% of patients who were intubated died, and the reason was they weren't treating them in any way. And intubation is a totally ineffective thing on its own, and has its own dangers. So I didn't know all that, but I knew it was not a solution. And it was the solution when you've done literally everything you can and I'm unconscious and there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a not last like, resort, yeah. It, it wasn't something to be, you know, doing at that time. So over the course of my several hours there, two more doctors tried to convince me of that too. So I that was like a, it was a kind of an overwhelming experience. Not because... And I didn't think I was that sick, but I was worried that they, what they were doing, um, especially the first guy, the next two were more reasonable and, and assured me like, this would only be a last resort and we're going to treat you with things first. And I was like, okay, like, you know, if I'm like unconscious, I suppose, but you know, before that, no, maybe, maybe sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I'll, you can keep going. I just want to pause you there. Because I know we've talked about this, and it seems you kind of arrived at a threshold in that moment when you were by yourself. Yeah. No one else was there. Yeah. Um, kind of walk us through your thought process during that point. So I got moved into the ICU, and um, the first day or two was when I was in the worst condition. And I had a moment where... Um, actually a text just came to me because I was too, t- to be honest, I was too tired to even read my Bible. My Bible got sent in 
Um, I could read on my phone, like scroll, uh, but it actually just came to my mind with Psalm 9012. Teach us to number our days we may gain a heart of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I was just feeling an overwhelming sense of the um, of my frailty and just powerlessness and um, and also the psalm where it talks about how uh, let me know how fleeting I am, Psalm thirty nine. Mm. And what what both of those things imply is that we're capable of forgetting our fleetingness. Mm. And I realize that I'm sitting there thinking for several reasons. Um, one, I wasn't aware of my condition, so I didn't see my X-rays. I didn't. I wasn't like Rebecca looking at my breathing. I was largely like living in my own world mm-hmm. for a couple of days. So I wasn't. I just actually didn't know how bad it was. A nurse who goes to our church apparently saw our X, my X-rays and wouldn't even tell Rebecca. It's like my lungs were all icicles, you know. Um, even though I disagree with their approach, clearly the fact that doctors, their concern shows that, you know, they were concerned. They were talking about me dying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was sitting there thinking, I don't feel like I'm going to die. But then all of a sudden I realized that's part of the folly of unbelief mm-hmm. is that you assess the risk of your death by, by whether or not you are prepared or accepting of it. It's like, why would I expect? And I'm thinking, I'm 35. This is a statistical anomaly. All these things are true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like statistically, I'm going to recover from this. Uh, I'm getting oxygen. But people still get run over on the sidewalk and choked to death right. at Thanksgiving and drowning kiddie pools. Yeah. Like, it it's actually almost happens. like um, we want to be able to plan it like we plan everything yes. else in our lives. Yes. Right. Like, well, I, I'm not going to die now because I haven't like prepared. I haven't done this and that. And you know, I'm not, not ready to go. It's like, well, that's got nothing to do with it. Why would you right? feel ready? That's exactly how I felt, Jerry. And then I, I was like, I stepped outside of myself and I realized I was thinking that way, which is folly. And I repented of that. And it was kind of, Again, statistically, um, I should improve, and I knew all these things, but I, I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm going to be okay, um, but that doesn't actually matter. So I actually messaged the elders at that point, and I was like, you know, make if I die, you need to appoint someone to be an elder, and God's going to care for the church. <laughs> and I messaged the board like, if, uh, for the school. I'm like, if I die, you got to continue the work kind of thing. But that was all I did in that regard. It was I just had a moment of like I don't think I'm going to die, but if I do, this is this has to continue, and and God's mm-hmm. going to do it. Um, I'm reminded of a of a couple things in Scripture, and the the first is uh, the flood, Noah and the flood, right? Um, uh, where is it in the New Testament where it's talking about the flood, and it says it'll be like those days where people were eating and drinking. Giving in marriage, and, yes, and the and they were just overwhelmed. Yeah, right? they didn't see it coming. It just happened to them. Believe in Jesus, like a thief in the night. Right, right. That's a that's a good point. It's and uh, the other one I was thinking of was uh, I forget the emperor's name, but the Babylonian uh, emperor with the writing on the wall. Right, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it was actually it his was son. His, his son. Yeah, Belshazzar. Yes, name? that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, this very night. Your, your life, life will, will be, be required, required of you. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, and they're having a party and right. And they're drinking out of the sacred vessels from the temple. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and God says, you're just a fool. You have no idea what's coming. Yeah. yeah. It's just all, all speaking to the human proclivity to live um, in unbelief, which is a denial of reality. And, and the fundamental reality for all of us is that we will die. It's the strangest thing. It's it's the clearest indication of human self-deception. It's like, literally, we all know that this is what happens to literally everybody. Ever. Yeah, we're just, we're just, we're in a culture where we can afford to convince ourselves that's not true. That's true. You know, we that's have true, all, yeah. we it's have the distractions. We've got our panoply of medications and uh, we're not, we're hospitals. We're confronted with it. Yeah, Whereas, like, as yeah. as historically and in many parts of the world, it's a daily reality. You yeah. can't escape it. You can't convince yourself. Yeah. It could come for you at any time, right? Our prosperity has, you know, been a, a shroud. It has, yeah, over top of us. <clears throat> so that was a powerful moment for me, mm-hmm. and I really felt, you know, like I, I I confessed it. I think out loud to God, and asked for a heart of wisdom, and asked Him to help me to number my days and. Um. Yeah, soon I started to improve, and uh, and I was I was transferred to um, the ward, and in that time, you know, Beck is working tirelessly to send in care packages and make sure I'm getting medication. And- Can we just pause and like give a round of applause for Beck, True um, who was just such a faithful wife, like. Just doing everything in her power um, to to do, you know, to support her husband in this, even when she couldn't be there with him. Just a true example of a, a faithful, and I don't want to steal your thunder here back, but like, you know, I, I know it's, at one point you were having a conversation with the girls to Al, and, and you had kind of, you had, you had uh, relinquished him to God, whatever happened. Uh, what was, I mean, I, I can imagine that was just uh, a very daunting moment. Yeah. I He says soon he improved. It wasn't soon enough for us out here. <laughs> yeah, it felt um, like weeks. It felt like <laughs> each day felt so long, eh, Ben? Yeah. Um, because you and Mal and Carly and Rylan walked really closely with me. I wouldn't have made it through those five days without you. Um, and... I do remember on the Wednesday because he was admitted. We took him to emerge the Tuesday and the Wednesday was when he was readmitted in the wee hours of the morning where I wasn't then allowed to go in with him. And the Wednesday was the worst day. Um, They were turning his oxygen up. He was requiring more as opposed to less, which is not what you want to see. And I remember that day just having the thought, Lord, give me the grace that I need to either help this man get well or please let me get in there so I can help him finish well Um, and like not have him die without someone to read scripture to him and sing to him as he entered into glory Mm -hmm. and um, I knew it was going to be one of those two Um, and yeah you say you know that I had surrendered him over to God. I did reach that place, I think, um, Wednesday evening and into the Thursday morning before things actually turned around and they started lowering his oxygen. Um, I had truly surrendered to whichever of those options 
the Lord willed and I knew that he would be enough. And for mm. anybody listening, we refer to Corey Ten Boom often in her quote, there is no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still. And um, this, I would say, would have been the most traumatic experience I've ever had. Um, but it's true. Mm. It's all true. Mm. And everything that we say we believe and the God we say we believe in, he is faithful to all of his promises. You know, Psalm 46 says that he is a very present help in time of trouble. And there's a way that you don't experience that until you hit mm-hmm. the trouble. Yeah. And I've never been in so much trouble mm. as I have <laughs> in the last weeks and when Alex was in the hospital. Um, but God was a present help. He was a present help by his spirit, um, going on one hour of sleep most nights that Alex was in hospital because um, I just couldn't sleep. I don't even know how I functioned, but I functioned. Like God was a present help um, by his spirit, um, but also through his people, through the church. Mm-hmm. Like I could not have been more loved and supported, like meals and physical help, like Mal here giving me a massage. All the muscles in my back were so tight. Mal was massaging. Rylan and Carly took our kids and our German Shepherd puppy. <laughs> our German Shepherd three-month-old puppy for five days straight. Oh, with their five children. Yeah. With their five children that they already have. Like the, the, <laughs> the, the body of Christ is just unbelievable. People were dropping off care packages to me. Mm-hmm. In the hospital. Yeah. People were dropping off crafts, sending Amazon stuff for the kids. And then the prayer of the saints. Yeah, the We were just thing. like literally... I would wake up every morning and literally I felt like the prayers of the saints were just carrying me through the day. Yeah. Mm. And and the messages just kept rolling in from all over this nation, from all over the world. We had people in Barbados praying, people in Ethiopia praying, you know, and just the support of the church of, of God's people yeah. was mm. the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. Yeah. Well, we needed medical help and advice. Christian medical health professionals reached mm, out mm. who needed legal counsel, you know, for, to get you in the hospital potentially. Yes. Put in touch with people. Put in touch with people, people calling me to people get People woke up like uh, <gasps> our friend Harry uh, is a dear brother in the Lord. And he, he woke up the, the morning I went in when I was at the lowest point, the most yes. dangerous point. The Lord woke him up at like 4 a.m. Mm. when I was in there to pray. Mm. And that mm. was when they refused me. So like he, he was actually awake at 4am praying for hours for Alex and his wife didn't write me till later to tell me. And when I looked back at the timeline, I realized, Hmm. well, that was right when they were telling me I couldn't go in and Alex had to be by himself. And yeah, just Mm. incredible the the way that the Lord was over and under and in and through all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we were never alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So God is a present help in time of trouble. And then the other thing I would say um, is what a sanctifying thing trials are. Um, in First Peter 4, it says, uh, I'm going to read it so that I don't paraphrase. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And that the first part of that verse was playing over and over in my mind. The one who has suffered has ceased from sin. 
I never knew what that meant until I was mm. suffering the way I was suffering. I didn't want anything to do with sin. Um, the presence of the Lord and his, his power and his present help with me made me detest my sin in such a way that I, any little thought or attitude that would come up, I was just like, Lord, purge me of it. I just can't have this. Um, and it, it's interesting now that Alex is home. You see then yourself, mm. like the old sins coming up and I'm like, oh, yep. like, but in, in, the, in those five days um, when it was just so hard and it was true, like deep affliction, like I can't, I, I just couldn't bear, like even just the thought of something sinful, I'd be just like, purge me, Lord, forgive me. And, and like right away obedience, you know? Um, so yeah, I've been praying that the Lord would help me to live in that kind of renouncing sin state even being out of the, the fiery trial, so mm -hmm. to speak. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, I think when I was, when I was in there, I was beginning to learn this, but I, when I got out, um, I think the most powerful lesson I had next was just about trusting the Lord. And I've, I've read you guys the verse, um, over and over and over from Isaiah, Isaiah thirty fifteen. For thus is the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. Mm -hmm. In quietness and in trust, shall be your strength. And in the context, Israel is seeking an allegiance with Egypt, a superpower, because of their fears. And uh, God is saying, No, in, in returning to me and in resting and in trusting is your salvation because I'm, I'm the one who delivers, not those horses, you know, not their cavalry and their chariots and them. Like I raise them up and I tear them down. Um, and I know for me, just, I, I've struggled with the paralyzing weight of anxiety. And I, I think part of the reason I got so sick or why I got so bad was because of my anxiety. I had a, a kind of extreme situation that made me very anxious. And then I got sick and that while I was sick, I was burdened with concern for other people who were sick, which was totally beyond my control. Mm -hmm. um, but because I wasn't praying about it as I ought to, and I was worrying about mm -hmm. it, it was just crushing me. Mm -hmm. And that, sadly, that's a more of a pattern of my life, and I'd like to say. And, um, and, and when I came out, it's like everyone's telling me, because of your condition, you just need to rest. I mean, the, it could be months before I'm back to full mm -hmm. health. It'll be at least a month of just straight, like no work mm -hmm. kind of thing. But there was something overwhelmingly freeing about it. It was like the Lord needed to bring me near to death and to make me totally powerless, to make me realize what is the point of your anxiety? Mm -hmm. Like this is how powerless you really are. Like when these when these needles aren't in you and these cables aren't attached to you and this medication's not going in and this tube is not in your nose, like you're still powerless. You're still powerless to save people. You're powerless to change people. You're powerless to prevent death hmm. and sickness in people. You're just in so many ways, you are just absolutely powerless. And the whole point of the gospel is that God works through weak people. Mm -hmm. uh, his power is made perfect in our weakness. You know, Paul said, remove this from me, 
Three times said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast of my weakness, um, you know, that God's power might rest on me. And it's like an it's like a total inversion to my life. And I came home and it, it honestly felt like a revival. Like if I didn't know I was a Christian before, I'd say I was born again again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that can't even happen. But it was just the weight was gone and a joy that I've never felt in my life and a hope. And just a freedom. Um, I've prayed more in like three days than I did in three months. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read more in a week than I have in a year because I can focus on it and delight in it and not worry, oh, this makes me think of what I don't know mm-hmm. and go look at other things. And it just learn and receive and, and glory in what you're reading. And um, I've sat in this chair for so. For people who know me, I'm restless and I don't like to be alone. I've sat in this chair for like eight hours a day, basically, you know, between the washroom and getting food for like a couple of weeks. And it's the happiest times I've had in my life, which I've never been able to have ever. I've never been comfortable alone. I've never just too anxious. And God's just done such a work, but it's by just destroying that, that conceited notion of strength. And, and just and just anxiety, like a just the anxiety of it. I feel like that we just need to linger there, and I don't know. I'm sure we like we can squeeze more out of that because it's just it's so counterintuitive. Yeah, we are we are just shaped, and and I don't know whether it's the culture of ministry and kind of what we've read or just what we've assumed. Just that. <clears throat> We, we we can we can be busy. We can produce fruit. Mm. We can um, if 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 we're not burning out doing whatever it is, then this thing's just gonna it's gonna fall short. It's yeah. gonna fail. And it's uh, it's God, it, God in His mercy. I think you were when we were talking last week, like His mercy that He would care to bring you so low. Yeah, I mean that seems like a it, it is a paradox in one way, but to to um, remind you of reality and to um, you know in quietness and rest is your salvation. We just read these verses like you're saying, and they roll off us, right? It's yeah. like yeah, in some vague way, I need to abide in Christ, but I still need to work just yeah. as hard, right? Yeah, and it actually it takes God just bringing us, yeah, and we see those. Events we dread them, we dread the the inconvenience of them. They dread we dread for how they make us powerless, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, but they're actually the sweetest times. Yeah. Of, well, he disciplines those he loves, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's always many things going on. Like it, I believe it was, you know, our enemy trying to destroy us mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. But what what he meant for evil, God means for good. Yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. I think of um, <clears throat> I think of Peter, right, denying Jesus. Yeah. What were those thirty days like after he mm-hmm. did that before mm-hmm. before Christ reinstated him? Yeah, right? he went out and wept like yeah. the lowest point of his life. After and then he, he just went back to fishing. Yeah. He's like, yeah. well, I'm just gonna go fish. Yep. Because that's all I'm good for, yep. right? And then you know, I mean, obviously, other stuff happened, and and they 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 knew that Christ had been raised and all of that. It didn't, you know, he wasn't 30 days um, 
in full despondency, but I'm sure he had no idea what 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 Christ was going to make of him. Right? Yeah, how but, can this be redeemed at yeah. the lowest, literally the lowest point? And and especially seeing what happened with Judas, seeing uh, his end, you know, denying Christ in a different way, but uh, um, seeing his end, and so. But then you look at the the arc of his life afterwards, and you know he went on to to do some really amazing things, and obviously one of the the you know the bedrock uh, apostles and writing scripture and and starting planting churches everywhere. I mean, um, you can't really understate his uh, importance. But uh, all that from somebody who just went back to fishing after, yeah. Like, <laughs> I've seen the the resurrected Christ, so I'm just gonna go fish. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the questions, actually, I don't know if anyone's asked me this, but multiple people have asked what I would say if someone asked me this. They say, "Does your experience um, change your views on things?" Mm-hmm. And I would say, to ask the question is to betray the fact you don't know my view on things. It's like. You, it's kind of like you're working from the assumption that perhaps you have many I, regrets. I didn't think COVID yeah. was real. And now do you think, I, I've never believed that. Um, I just believe COVID is what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. And, uh, you know, for, for me, the facts remain. I mean, I went and double checked these once I got out, like, for me, you know, what are the statistics from the CDC 20 to 49 0.02 infection fatality rate, meaning 99.98 survival rate. The WHO is a similar one. Mm. And these are conservative by organizations that have been highly politicized. Um, they're, they're, as, as Jay Bhattacharyan said from Stanford, for much of the population, including the vast majority of children and young adults, COVID poses less of a mortality risk than seasonal influenza. That's just mm. the fact. It's really, it's much more dangerous for people over 70 and those with multiple comorbidities, which we've known since the beginning. We've known this even before it got over here. We've had a good idea of this. Um, but anyways, it's we need to think about what the risks are. And I've always known the risks, what they are to me. And I've always thought um, that there are risks that, you know, we consider that. But we also consider the risks of the things we do to avoid that risk, right? So it's like, well, we could put every single human being on Earth in a cell with no shared ventilation, and they we would avoid COVID, but we would create a whole other host of harms. And so we just need to think about that. So when people say, have you changed? It's like, well, have the facts changed? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'm a 35-year-old man. I could lose some weight. Aside from that, I'm healthy. And even even with that, I am healthy. Like I was with her when she had COVID and I didn't get COVID. And, um, you know, I'm willing to take the risk to live my life based on that statistic and to do the things that God has called me to be and to do. And And I never had a second where I thought about this. Like if I had died at 35 and left a widow and children, I wouldn't change a thing. Mm. Not because I'm being dogmatic and pig-headed and unwilling to um, admit when I'm wrong, but it it literally doesn't change reality. Mm. And um, 
So yeah, you're, so you're not letting your experience. Yeah, it's like it'd be hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. If if like all the facts are the same, but because I was affected by it, mm-hmm. I all of a sudden go whatever. And don't get a we were part of the reason I was so anxious is we were caring for people who were sick. Yeah. We take this very seriously. We were in touch with health professionals and getting medication and therapies and we've worked tirelessly even since Rebecca's been working to care for people who've been reaching out to her and putting them in touch with people and Hello? um Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, we 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 want to take this seriously, but you know the fact the fact remains. You know it is what it is. The risks are what they are, and we each need to think about you know what what are all our duties and responsibilities that the Lord's called us to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a question for you. This is not religious based question, but. Um, You've now seen the system from the inside, yeah. so to speak, the, the treatment protocols that they're offering. Can you speak to that? Um, yeah. I'm sure that's probably, you've probably uh, gained some insight into that whole yeah. area of things. So I will say positively, um, there's some of the nurses especially uh, were amazing. Yes. And and I've always, every time I go to the hospital, yeah. um, I, I think, when I think of nurses, 12-hour shifts... Mm-hmm. dealing with sickness. In my case, coming into a room where there is the risk of infection, looking at a 35-year-old guy in ICU, um, you know, there's a risk associated with that kind of care. And several nurses were very compassionate, hardworking, professional, um, amazing. But Be- Be- Beck yes. would call and they would talk 20, 30 minutes with her. Uh, explaining all of the explaining things I needed things, to Way know. more than they needed to. So I just want to say... Mm-hmm. There are a lot of amazing people in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, the first doctor I spoke with, um, I would fully go to the editorial in the newspaper to write about, is a totally incompetent ideologue. And he was talking like it was 2020, and we had never heard of COVID before. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't mention any treatment whatsoever. He was talking about intubation as if it was the only solution. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a total neglect of his responsibilities. And, uh, you know, the further, when we presented a protocol from um, several of the doctors in the United States who developed the protocol that a huge majority of hospitals are following like they are the experts and they're a very, very successful in a, yes. in a country with 300 million people we presented this protocol to our doctors and one who was a kind man but he said he said something i couldn't hear everything he said old wives tales and it's kind of like a three-year-old looking at um c.s lewis and telling him he can't write it's like uh excuse me you can go through this list and explain to me in your professional opinion why you don't want to do it. Uh, what you can't do is dismiss the opinion uh, of the experts on this as just old wives' tales. Especially when you've got real-world data showing the success rate yeah, of these which, treatments. Which to me is that our our world, not just healthcare, is driven by ideology. It's a You have a narrative and you can't see outside of it. I had another doctor tell me explicitly they only do treatment that the Ontario Science Table 
um, recommends, which is very dangerous mm. on several ways. One, members of the science table have left the science table in their words for being politicized, which means it is not being shaped by evidence and science is being is being politically maneuvered. Members of the science table say that. Members of the science table um, are publicly known to be funded by pharmaceutical companies. So they have an inherent bias that if I was to start a company or a charity and have that kind of bias on my board, I would actually be like sent, like I would be shut down by the CRA or something. Like you, you can't do that. Thirdly, this flies in the face of what medicine has always been in this country and should concern and just sadden all of us that doctors have now become uh, little puppets of the state. Right. So there's a, there's a place to say, we have professional bodies that gather the metadata and do an analysis for, the, for doctors on the ground who are treating individual patients and provide helpful analysis of it. This is what's working. This is what's not working. So I'm not discounting looking to an outside source for information. That's a, that's a good and helpful thing. Um, but to say that we won't do something they say is actually get it backwards because they should be making policies, decisions based on data. And where do you get the data? From practice. The only place you get data on how to treat COVID patients is from treating COVID patients. Mm -hmm. So if you don't treat COVID patients, and you, then you don't get data yeah. to make analysis, to make policies based on, and suggestions and recommendations. This is how medicine is done. Yes, you try and, things. And doctors, yeah. doctors look at you and they assess and they research mm -hmm. and they make a recommendation and they alert you to the risks of it and the potential benefits, and you make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. This is how you practice medicine. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, so this isn't about me. This is about you, like protecting right. your butt or something. Or it's just a, it's just a sad, um, sad state of ideological thinking. There, like, there wow. has to be, there has to be like a monetary, um, angle to this behind the scenes. Well, right? they get more money if people are intubated. Right. That's a fact. Okay. So, um, I mean, it, and it, it almost seems like it's a case of uh, whoever pays the pipe or calls the tune, right? Well, the well, government, the government runs healthcare. Yeah. The doctors, they work for the government essentially yeah. directly. And so they kind of have to follow that protocol or else, I mean, we've seen what's happened to the dissenting doctors and nurses. Yeah. They're fired. You you lose your practice. You lose your livelihood. Yeah. And so they don't want it. They don't want to do that. They'll just say, oh, I'll just do what the science table's telling me to do and yes. keep my job, right? Well, to give you a practical, just a practical example of this, the exact same protocol Rebecca sent to a woman whose husband is in another hospital. We won't say who and where, um, not in Peterborough. And there's 15 recommendations for in-hospital treatment. In hospital for protocol, somebody with COVID, right? Yeah. So it's things you can do before you go to ventilation. His doctor sat down with him and went through all of them, and he said, oh, "So they acknowledged them." And they so agreed. he said went through all of them, and he said, "I will do eleven I'll of do the fifteen, and I'm going to go research the other four. That's how you practice medicine. Yes. So I wouldn't have even cared if this doctor told me. Um, I'm not going to do this because of this. I don't like any of these for, for these, these reasons. reasons yeah. Even if he was wrong, I would have 
that's a different kind of problem. Yeah. That's kind of like an incompetence thing. But it's it's more scary that he was presented with um, proven, uh, data-driven, evidence-based, expert-driven um, information that he literally dismissed as old wives' tales. Yeah, this isn't like some like that's scary. some blog writer on the internet no. going, "Hey, this worked for me." No, no, no. This is medical professionals that have yeah. been using these treatments for a year, like a year and a half now. Yeah, right. Yeah, and if and if and have gathered data from a huge, um, you know, data set, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it was hmm. concerning, but we, but we have to say positively, we got in touch with Christian health professionals mm-hmm. who have been amazing. And, and um, you know, the saints in the lands are the glorious ones. Or the what's, what is it? The, the excellent the ones? The saints in the land are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Oh my, just yes. the level of compassion and care and and competence, competence and like excellence, research, yeah. evident concern, diligence, yes. all of these things. Um, not content with narratives. I mean, it's just been so. So, refre- so I will insert here for anyone listening. Um, if you do get really sick, please reach out um, to me to Alex. Um, there are people that can help you, and there are things that help, and that's kind of all we'll say on that. But. Um, yeah. You can send emails to Jeremy at the Dominion Podcast. I'll make sure the information gets to where it needs to get to. That's great. Jeremy at the Dominion Podcast. I was just gonna com. I was just gonna give out Al's phone number so everyone listening could just phone him. Five all day. five five. It's like Al's Al's recovery has been extended to nine months due to the influx of calls. <laughs> yeah. Al's prayer line. I just sit in my lazy boy and have a prayer line. Yeah, yeah. Al's That's prayer line. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I, I will say back to the medical, like medicine is about learning and trying things and researching based on your specific patients. I will say there seems to be a lot of learning that has gone on at the Peterborough Regional Health Center Yeah, between the last wave that they had there and, and currently. Um, and our experience was there were bad aspects, but there were fantastic aspects. And so just so people know, they gave Alex an amazing steroid, which really helped. They gave him, it's called dexamethasone. So I'm just going to, very effective. Very, very, very effective. I thought you were looking a little more muscular than (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lost a lot of muscle. Yeah. He's lost more muscle than he's gained. Um, But dexamethasone is the steroid that they give for people with COVID related complications, like what Alex had. Um, they also gave him a one-time shot of a monoclonal antibody which called is awesome. toxilumab, which is amazing. Um, and they put him on an, um, a blood thinner um, and a needle twice daily to, to stop clotting. And that's a pretty big problem with anybody yeah. who's sedentary, but with, with COVID in particular, clotting yeah. is a big issue. It was encouraging that, that I actually did receive very good treatment yes and uh and support so there were there were some treatments and really great supportive care support with the with the oxygen um Mm. so yeah i just want to say that that those four things oxygen steroid monoclonal antibody and then the anti-clotting injection yeah those are basically the four things currently that you're treated with and whoever if anybody ever needed to go in just make sure that i said so much respect for people who gowned up masked like i was in separate room and I could tell they didn't want, like most of them didn't want to come in. Yeah. And I, I didn't blame them. Like, cause it's shooting um, not only air, but humidity into my face. So it's actually just filling the air. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and like, 
I don't want to get COVID. Like I, I don't want anyone else to get COVID, you yes. know? And the fact that they just came in and cared for me is an amazing thing. Yes. Um, and, and the doctors, the, the two other doctors after the first guy were very kind yes. and, uh, you know, patient and um, sincere people, mm. you know, it's just, it's just very sad where things have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, There's been a, a huge erosion of trust in the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, Alex or Beck, did you want to say any more? I mean, I, I, we could, I feel like we could probably have another conversation just yeah. about kind of peripheral kind of things that were going on at the same time. But uh, were there any kind of other thoughts you guys wanted to? I just thank you. Thank you to everyone yes. who prayed mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, I mean, our whole church was mm-hmm. um, people who listened to this even. And uh, yeah, I can't tell you how much God is doing through those prayers. Mm-hmm. Like my, I feel like I'm undergoing a revival and mm-hmm. yeah. my life and our family and my ministry and everything is just on a totally different trajectory um, than it was before. And so God has really used it. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul says, you know, Corinthians, second Corinthians, you know, that, that, that we were burdened beyond what we could bear. So we despaired of life itself and that the point was so that people would pray, that he would pray, and that people would pray, and that they would glorify God for the deliverance mm-hmm. that he brings. So I just, it's fitting that we end by glorifying God um, mm-hmm. through the prayers I received. I received um, excellent medical care. Yes. And um, <laughs> through God's prayers, Rebecca was sustained. Um, she was on her phone like eight hours a day. And, Slept one hour night for three nights yeah. in a row, and I enjoyed getting the little voice updates at four in the morning. Those were great. Thank you. Sorry, Jared. No, I, my ringer's always off, so it didn't wake me up or anything like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'd wake up in the morning, and like, oh, there's an update. Great. <laughs> so God, God has just been so good, and mm-hmm. I've already seen Him answer so many prayers since I've been out, mm. and uh, just in strengthening my faith. Mm. So just an encouragement to the church. I mean, we need to make this, we need to be even more prayerful and just make this not the thing we do in extremes, yes. but to see that this extreme trial was brought in to expose what's just normal. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like this is just reality. We're, we're always as weak as Alex was in that hospital room. Like We're weaker than that. We're always just dust. We're always finite. We're always, our days are numbered and we're fleeting and we're like vapor and mist. That That's always reality. So let's avoid the hard trials that teach us that by remembering that, by humbling ourselves. And even the little things now, what I do is, is when we talk about a care or a burden, a concern, how little or big, we, we just, we pray about it so much more yes. right away. Mm. And uh, not only are we not anxious, but like many things, the Lord's just moved in. Yes. Mm. And my prayer moving forward is that our life and ministry would just be marked by faith and dependence, weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. And the power of God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you, brother. And uh, I don't know if we'll continue on with this this fusion of both well, podcasts, I mean, but we'll see. Maybe it'll yeah, work. You are a guest star on the Dominion podcast on a regular basis. So. <laughs> a guest star. Oh, thanks, Jer. Uh, I, 
Every bit helps. Keyword my esteem. guest. I mean, you know, you don't really belong. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> An interloper, I guess, would be more. An interloper. Usurper. <laughs> well, why don't I close with uh, one more uh, piece of scripture here from Job chapter 2, um, verses 7 through uh, through 10. We'll read read this section. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores and from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What a great example there. And uh, we praise God that uh, Rebecca is not like one of the foolish women, but a uh, very faithful uh, woman of God who cared for her husband and and been so influential in other people's lives as well. Now, it's almost like you've been given this experience that you'd be able to help other people too, So, which you've been doing clearly. So from uh, Alex and Rebecca and Ben and myself, we will see you next time. I mean, I won't be on the... Unless you guys have me as a guest on the on the ground uh, podcast, I'll be a guest. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you later. <laughs>